Well, good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you. I see very many familiar faces, uh, but I also see some new ones. So if you are new, a big welcome to you. And I'd love to say hello afterwards. So please do come and say hello. Wonderful. Well, as today we come to this passage, um, I wonder if some of us might be feeling a tiny bit nervous. Uh, maybe you didn't realize that this was the passage we were looking at today or thinking about today. I have certainly felt a bit nervous as I've been preparing this because as we look at this topic of the creation of Eve and uh, we, we're going to not be able to avoid touching on some really big topics aren't we things like relationships things like gender things like marriage and um, I think for many of us these kind of topics do hold some baggage some pain um, and maybe some confusion as well so um, uh, you know, it's understandable if we're feeling nervous. Um, but I like to remind myself that whenever I'm feeling nervous about a passage, it's probably because it's about things that really matter. Whenever I'm feeling nervous about a passage, it's normally because it, it connects with real-life things that we really care about. And that is exactly the case. I don't think I'm going to have to do very much convincing at the beginning of this talk tonight that this really connects with some of the very biggest conversations of our generation over the last few generations. These things are, are relevant to our lives, aren't they? Um, if you have managed to, to, to avoid the news completely in the last two weeks, well done. Uh, you haven't missed anything. Um, if, if you have seen the news, though, you might have seen, amongst the other things, that um, there's been another spat between... Uh, J.K. Rowling and Nicola Sturgeon. Um, that's been an ongoing war of words. One of them a staunch feminist and the other one uh, in favour of bringing self-ID into Scotland. And it's been a really acrimonious um, a set of discussions. Um, or the week before you might have seen, it's very similar between John Cleese and Graham Norton um, as well on the same issue. So these are conversations happening around us on these topics. But of course, for most of us, um, where this really connects is our own lives, isn't it? That's the thing we often really care about, how these issues connect with where we are and maybe with um, the lives of we, those we love and live next to and work with. That's what really matters. And there is pain and hurt associated with these things. So as we set out today to look at this passage, can I invite us to do a couple of things? The first is, can I invite us to be kind, to choose to be kind, to be kind with ourselves as we come to this passage and think about these topics, to be kind with each other, maybe especially afterwards as we talk about things. You can be kind to me. Uh, there's no way that we can address everything fully in, in the time we've got. But the other thing is I think we can choose to come to this passage also with hope. Um, if you have joined us in the last few weeks as we look, we've looked at the, other, the rest of these few chapters in Genesis, we have discovered, as we've unpacked them carefully, that these chapters are full of amazing, foundational, life-changing gospel truths that breathe life into us. And, um, you know, we've discovered a God who is good, and who has good purposes for us. And so let's trust as we come this, this, this evening to these, the, uh, the, the second half of chapter 2 that God has more good things to say to us. And we should also definitely pray. Should we pray? 
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for one another. We thank you most of all for your presence with us. Lord, you said you'd give us your spirit to teach us all things and remind us of you. And would you do that tonight? Amen. Okay, so how are we going to tackle a passage like this? Well, I think because it is a passage where we might have so many questions and preconceptions bringing to it, uh, I think what would be helpful is if we can begin at, at least by attempting to try and look at the passage in its own right, on its own terms, and try and see what it might be trying to say on its own terms. And then we will try and come back in, at the end of the talk and look at how it applies to us. So a good old school Bible study. Um, this talk is going to be a little bit more of a teach than a preach, but I think we won't struggle to make the connections with our lives. So Genesis 2, 18 onwards. The first thing is as we come to this passage, we have to remind ourselves that we are jumping in mid-flow. We are not starting a whole new section in this as we come to verse 18. We are joining in the middle of the story, and we have to remind ourselves of last week, of the story of how God created Adam and uh, brought him into his presence and commissioned him as his priest, the priest of God's creation. And everything so far in Genesis has been good. It has been good, good, good. Uh, until we get to our verse, and it is the very first not good in the Bible so far. So it's quite jarring. We're told that God says it is not good for the man or Adam to be alone. And that's what kicks off this story of the creation of Eve. And we're going to unpack this together now, but I thought I would give us what I think is a summary of what this whole passage is saying that will help us to navigate it. So this is the summary, I think, of the main message of our passage today. God made men and women equal yet different to work together. God made men and women equal yet different to work together. So let's look at our passage and see where we've got that from. The first thing I think it's important to realize is that I think that the focus here in this passage is of Adam and Eve working together. Emphasis on the word work. Why do I say that? Well, I think that so often uh, we, most of us here, are such romantics. We have watched a little bit too much Netflix, seen a few too many Disney films, and so uh, we, we come to this passage and we read it like that. Uh, it's like when we hear, oh, it's not good for man to be alone, we go, ah, oh, Adam is lonely. Ah, oh, I know this one. It's going to be a love story. The problem with that is if we set out down that path, we've already begun to assume things that are unhelpful. We begin to assume that Adam is perfectly up to the task at hand. He's perfectly up to the job of being God's priest, looking after the garden. But the thing is, all he needs is a soulmate, so that at least he cannot be lonely as he does it. But I just want us to take another look at this passage. It doesn't say anything about Adam's psychological state. It doesn't say anything about him feeling lonely or anything like that. 
This verse 18 comes straight after Adam has been given a job to do as a priest of creation. And then the very next thing it says is, it's not good for him to be alone, and he needs a helper. Now, I have done a lot of deep and scholarly study of this word helper. And I'll tell you what it means. Helper. He needs help. He needs help. Adam can't do this on his own. He needs a co-worker. And this completely fits the pattern that we've already seen in Genesis chapter 1, where we see that, that, both, uh, uh, that the whole of mankind are commissioned to be God's royal regents in his image. And then it says, and he made them male and female to do this together. It's not just something they are, it's something they're called to do. And so this passage, I think, is about men and women working together. But that does lead us to the second focus of the passage, which is that there is a togetherness, togetherness about him. In some way, they fit each other. And actually, in this passage, it doesn't say a huge amount at all when you look for it about the sort of nature of men or the nature of women and what they should look like or what they should do. It doesn't say very much, but there are two key twin themes that weave in and out of this passage. They kind of revolve around each other, and they're both there right the way through. And they are these two themes. The first one is Adam and Eve's equivalence. And the second of all is their difference, their equivalence and their difference. So first of all, their equivalence or their equality. And let's just hit this, this nail on the head to start with. The word helper is not a derogatory term. It is not a derogatory term. Sometimes we might imagine, okay, all right, Adam, Adam's the surgeon, he's got the main job, and uh, Eve's just going to pass him the instruments. Or Adam's the superhero, fantastic, but he needs a sidekick, so he needs, he needs a helper. But that is just not how this word is used in Scripture. The word helper is used a vast number of times in the Bible, and the vast majority of the number of times it is used, it is used of God. God is the most common helper in the Scriptures. And usually, uh, helping someone usually a, a man who is in a massive scrape, often in battle, and needs some serious help. As in, the Lord is my helper, from so many of the Psalms. This is not a sidekick word. Adam needs some serious help. And then we're told uh, that Adam doesn't just need any help. He needs someone who is suitable. And um, now we'll come back to this word suitable, but it, uh, it is quite important. And at least part of its meaning is equal to him or like him. And this is emphasized in the next bit of the story when it seems like Adam is uh, paraded in front of the different animals looking for a suitable helper. And as he goes from one to another, he doesn't find his equal. He doesn't find... Uh, someone up to the job. And that is signified for us by the fact that he names the animals, which is a sign of his authority over them. So God makes Eve. And so many things in, 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 in her making, the story of her making, signify her 
equality with him. First of all, she's made from his side. If you've got one of the NIV Bibles open, you'll see at the bottom, it says, it says this can be translated rib or also side. It's actually really an architectural term to describe half of a building. And there's a sense that Adam and Eve stand side by side before, before God. But also then, uh, when, when Eve is made and, and presented to Adam, uh, Adam sings out, uh, sings out a, a poem. And what is it? Is it a love song? Is it a, does he say, oh, Eve is so beautiful. She's amazing. Oh, it's wonderful. I'm never going to be lonely again. No, everything he says in those few verses emphasizes this theme of their likeness, their similarity, their deep kinship. He says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He sees in Eve his equal. And here's something to note. Adam does not name Eve. Not yet. Not at this point in the story anyway. But it isn't just their equivalence. It isn't just their equivalence which is emphasized throughout. It is also their difference. When Adam needs help, God doesn't make another Adam. It appears that something different is required. We're told that he needs a helper that's suitable to him. And I said I'd come back to this word because it's actually quite a rare compound word. And it kind of combines two other words. It It most literally translates as like opposite. He needs a helper who is like opposite to him. That's why in English translations, it's most most often translated as match. That's an equal, but that fits. Or equivalent. An equivalent tool is one that does the same thing, but isn't the same thing. And we're told in Genesis 1, simply that God makes humankind male and female. So God makes men and women equal yet different to work together, together to be his royal regents, together to be priests of his presence. And then we come to our last two verses. And finally, marriage does come into view. But I think what's really important to realize about this passage is that marriage is not the whole point of this passage. It is not the whole thing that's being said here. In fact, it feels like a bit of an after comment in many ways. Important, but the sense is, if you read the sort of the voice of the passage change, and it feels like the story ends, and the camera pans around, and the author says, uh, kind of in a different voice, "Oh, and that this is why marriage. This is why marriage. That forming of a new and permanent family unit." between a man and a woman, is grounded in this wider reality that God made men and women equivalent yet different to work together. Okay, whirlwind tour over. You still with me? <laughs> How are we going to apply this to ourselves and to today? How does this connect with us? Well, I think probably the most important thing to say at this point, before we set out any further, the most important thing for us to say, and this has really been on my heart to say, is for us to realize that we don't live in Genesis 2 anymore. 
We do not live in the perfect world of Genesis 2 anymore. We live in the world of Genesis 3, 4, 5, and the rest of the story. If we feel, oh my word, that's a nice, perfect picture, and I don't fit it in some way, that's not what my relationship looked like, that's not, it's like, well, there is good news. We don't live in that world anymore. We live after the fall. And next week, we're going to see the story of um, uh, how, when we turned our backs on God, it affected not just our relationship with him, but absolutely everything, every part of life. It affects the ground. It affects relationships. It affects the world. And uh, all the topics we're talking about tonight are deeply affected by this. And this, the passages itself tells us that. So I said that Adam doesn't name Eve in our passage. We, he doesn't. But after the fall, he does. And Eve is told as part of the fallout of, of, of sin and the fall... She's told this, you will desire to master your husband and he will rule over you. The battle of the sexes begins as part of the fall. And actually the rest of the Bible is searingly honest about some of the terrible things that men and women have done to each other over the ages. And you know, if, you, if anyone are parents here and have tried reading through the Bible with your kids, you will know that there are some passages that are just not kids' bedtime stories. They are so honest about some of the terrible things. And this is the world we live in, and the Bible acknowledges that. We don't live in a perfect world of Genesis 2. We live in a broken and complicated world since then. And this is where we are, and this is who we are. So just some of these topics. When it comes to gender, for example, you know, I think there are very few of us, actually, who don't have at least some battle at some point in our life with making peace with our gender in some way or another, whether it's just not fitting stereotypes or something deeper, or haven't experienced some form of sexism in some way or another. And we know that for some of us, and for some of us here as part of our church family, it goes much deeper than that. And we might experience a profound disease with our bodies or with our gender. And this is a lifelong battle. When it comes to this area of relationships and of marriage, we know that relationships are hard. Gone are the days when Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed and everything was fine. We live on the other side of Genesis 3. I know that sexual desire isn't so much in this passage, but as you grow older and you talk to more people and you engage in more life, you just realize it's one of those things where who we're attracted to and our sexual desire is not always as under our control as we wish it was. Talk to some people, and it might be in marriage, and, and they long that they were more attracted to the person that they were married to. Or battle with being attracted to someone they're not married to and have to deal with that. For others of us, we, we might experience uh, attraction to the same gender or same sex or both. And we, we also know in this area of relationships that it can be difficult that we discover that long-term relationships and marriages do break down even when we really throw ourselves at them. 
or we lose partners, partners die, or, 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 or some of us might long, long to be married, and we haven't found that yet. And that's painful for us. And it's so important that we acknowledge this. It's so important that we're honest about this. Why? Because if we're not, and if we can't talk about these things, we will accidentally give the impression, first of all to ourselves and then to others, that if we don't fit the perfect Genesis 2 picture, then Jesus isn't for us. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It could not be further from the truth. Jesus didn't come to live and die and save us and walk alongside us and recreate this world for Genesis 2. He came because of everything that followed. And he comes for us and he comes for you. And all of us live on the other side of Genesis 3. And Jesus loves us and has come to meet us there, here in our mess and in the complicated world that we live in some of which we might have been a part in creating, and some of, us is just, some of which has just happened to us. And so first thing to say is if we can't be a community of grace and of patience and of kindness that learns to listen to each other, hear people's experiences deeply, if we can't be honest with each other about that, we, we haven't even got out of the gate. <laughs> and we've got to be a church and a family that can deal with mess and with not fitting perfectly in the Genesis 2 world, because we live on the other side. Jesus has come for us here. That said, Genesis 2 does speak of God's creation purposes. And both Jesus and Paul affirm this as one of the key places to go to see what God is doing. And so, what can we take away from this passage. I'm going to have to be really brief in these comments, so forgive me, but here are a few thoughts. First of all, a word on equivalence, or a word on equality. Christians should be those who profoundly believe in and fight for the equal dignity and treatment of men, and especially women, both here and around the world. And that should be so obvious to say, but actually it still needs to be said. It still needs to be done. And for some of us, uh, we need to deal with our own heart resentments and issues. There are still things that we need to work on, and that might be something for us tonight. Within our church, we want to practice this. We want to value uh, in our words, in the way that we treat people, in the way that we allocate our resources. And um, just a, an aside here, we believe here at HT that the New Testament model for church leadership is that it's meant to be shared with men and women. And we also believe that the primary criteria for callings to these roles of leadership are godliness, <laughs> calling from God, and gifting. And we want to have balanced teams of both genders, but those are the primary things that we're, we want to look for and discern. As, and we want to be raising up men and women who are called to leading in the church. So that's a word on equivalence. A word on difference then. And this is maybe we think is just a little bit more challenging. I 
I think that Christians should be those who, even as we champion equality, don't do so at the expense of just eradicating created difference. Another way of putting that is I don't think it helps to be gender blind as we try and deal with the issues that we face in the world. I actually think it's not help. that's just not helpful. It doesn't help us get where we want to go or treat people with dignity. We want to carefully, sensitively take account of people's histories and stories and things that are going on, and we want to celebrate and care for and reach out to both men and women. And most of the time, that would mean just doing exactly the same thing for both, and some of the time it would mean taking account of that. And we just have to be wise and kind. All of this, though, doesn't mean we have to play into unhelpful stereotypes. We don't. And I would like to point out from this passage that it says almost nothing, apart from one little comment about um, marriage being between a man and a woman, apart from that, it says almost nothing about kind of roles of men and women or what they should look like, what they should do, what they should act like. It says very, very little. And actually, the rest of the Bible, when you look at it, you search for where does the Bible actually say what men and women should look like, it says very, very little. The vast majority of the commands in Scripture are to, to, to all of us together. And so we have to be careful of bringing our own baggage, bringing our own stereotypes. And apart from anything else, stereotypes are just stereotypes. If we don't fit them, that doesn't mean we're not a man or a woman. Thank goodness because I am considerably shorter than most men in most parts of the world. That's a small, that's a small and ridiculous thing. But for some of us, these are, these are big things, aren't they? So we should expect created difference, but we can be um, careful in how we um, describe that. I do think, though, that, and this is sort of very sensitive, I know, culturally, I do think that Christians will want to resist ideas or ideologies that want to completely eliminate the idea of gender or, com or intentionally blur the boundaries or uh, completely disconnect the idea of gender from biological sex. I just don't think that we can get that past Scripture. But that doesn't mean, as Christians, that we have to enter some sort of culture war or get really, you know, prescriptive about this is what men have to look like and this is what women have to look up. And we don't have to worry if we personally don't fit those, those stereotypes. And most of all, most of all, we need to be kind with each other and kind with those who find this area of gender a, a really difficult area for them. And if that's you here today, you're so welcome. We want to walk with you and alongside you and hear you. And Jesus came for you. So we need to be kind with each other. Finally, and we are running on, but finally, a comment on marriage. I think the take-home message of this passage is this, that marriage should be honored but not worshipped. That among us, marriage should be honored but not worshipped. In Hebrews 13 verse 4, it says, Marriage should be honored by all. And actually, in our culture today, it is um, easy to uh, denigrate marriage or completely deconstruct it. And even sometimes within uh, the 
amongst Christians, we can usually out of hurt kind of want to be like, marriage doesn't really matter, it isn't important, and kind of, you know, push it down if you like. But marriage, as it says in the wedding liturgy, is a gift of God in creation. It is a good gift. And both Paul and Jesus affirm both the importance of marriage and the seriousness of it. So we want to honor marriage. We want to celebrate it. We want to support those who are in it because it's difficult. And we want to help those who, um, who, who would like to get married to try and find and meet and get married to Christian partners. And maybe in church we need a little bit less worry about dating and trying and failing and, 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 and going for that. So we want to support and honor marriage. But we don't want to worship it. We don't want to worship it. And this brings us right back to the beginning and our passage and what we were saying at the beginning. Genesis 2 is about the bigger picture of how God has made men and women to work together. And marriage is just a picture in miniature of what is being painted on the, the broader canvas here. Marriage is grounded in this wider reality, but it is not the sum of it. It is not what this is all about. And the reason that it can't be the sum of it, the reason it can't be all that's here, is because of Jesus. Is <laughs> because of Jesus. Jesus was the most whole, the most fulfilled human being that ever walked this earth. And he, we know from the New Testament, is the image of God. And he is the high priest of God. He is the one who fulfills this whole passage. And Jesus was never married. Not in an earthly sense. He was not married. And neither, by the way, was Paul, who wrote pretty much the rest of the New Testament. So we can't, we can't, we can't make this the sum of what's going on. And when we look at the New Testament and how these themes are, are, are become different in the New Testament, we find that they, they don't apply to individuals or couples. They apply to the whole family of God. So this call to image God and this call to be his priests is something that we are told we primarily do as the, the church family, the people of God. We are the royal priesthood being remade in his image. And we reflect him as we, as we use our spiritual gifts together to see God's kingdom come. This new family unit that we join is the church family. Jesus actually puts this quite sharply a number of times. He says, uh, those who want to follow him have to put him first and their families second. And as we follow him, we in a very deep and profound and spiritual way become, we are remade to be brothers and sisters, one family, bone of bone, flesh of flesh. And this is a challenge for us as a church. We don't kind of just gather here on a Sundays, a, a set of couples, a family here, a bunch of singles, and kind of just worship together. No, we are one family. And we have to learn to be one family, to treat each other a family, to open our homes and our lives and things. And that takes, you know, 
compromise and learning the different stages of life and, and doing life with people of different ages and stages and opening our lives to each other. But we are profoundly made to be one family. Even the commission to be fruitful and multiply, which is not in this passage, but it's in the previous passage. Even that commission is now primarily fulfilled in sharing the gospel and seeing people join the family as they trust in Jesus. And God has called all of us to be spiritual fathers and mothers in his kingdom. We don't actually have to get married and have kids to do that, although that is a good gift from the Lord. Jesus is so clear in Matthew 19 that earthly marriage between a man and a woman is a good and serious thing, but it is not everybody's calling. And he lists three reasons. He says, for some, some because of the way they're born, some because of the circumstances of life out of their control, and some because they willingly choose to forgo marriage for the sake of the kingdom of God. And he's talking about himself. And that, at the end, is the key for the kingdom of God. Because that is the bigger picture here, as we've seen in Genesis 1 and 2. The kingdom of God. God has made men and women equal yet different to work together as his family to see his kingdom come. We need each other. We need to care for each other. We want to celebrate each other and together see everything he wants to do happen. I'm going to stop there. I've rambled for too long. Let me pray for us. And then what we're going to do is, um, we're, in a moment, we're going to have just a song up on the screens. And you don't need to watch it or even listen to it. This is just going to be five minutes of time for us to process where we're at with this. This might connect with us in such different places. We might be in completely different uh, uh, areas of life that this is, connects with our life. So we're just going to have five minutes. If you want to listen to the song, go for it. If not, five minutes just to sit. I'll be sitting with my eyes closed just meeting with the Lord. Just to process some of this. And then Ollie's going to come and lead us as we pray and worship to finish. But let me pray for us and then we're going to have that up. Lord, we thank you that you are good. And Lord, we thank you that you've come for us where we are. That although this passage reveals your creation purposes, we know also that you've come to meet us where we are. Lord, we ask for your help, Holy Spirit. We ask for your grace and your kindness. Even just now as we sit with the music in the background, would you meet with us and speak to us what we need to hear and remind us of your love. Amen.